Hello folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. I have a very sniffly nose today, so you may hear me going a few times and you may hear me sound like a little bit of a weasel. But anyway, we're on episode 66, which is, again, pretty pretty wild. Like I'm surprised I've been able to keep it going this long. Um, and I just noticed I've currently got, was it 7,000 downloads altogether? I mean, I have been doing it like over a year so i mean i don't know they're not brilliant i don't know it's, it's totally relative to like what you describe as good numbers like six thousand people have listened to me speak on this podcast when you put that into perspective it's almost like half of forfer um i don't even know what the population of forfer is that's embarrassing but um it's a, it's still a lot of people i don't need to have a million subscribers like i'm probably not that good at podcasting to get a million subscribers but hopefully the people that do listen take something away um so episode 66 is a slightly like kind of different idea from what I've done before. And I'm going to be going through, I'm going through my 66 episodes and I'm taking all the information that I got for all the information and all the podcasts and all the things that I spoke about in regards to footballers. I'm going very specific with footballers. Reason being is that I think, do I have any rugby players on my program? Just now? I don't think I do. Um, Actually, is that a lie? Is that a lie? No, it is just footballers just now. Um, so I'm going to go down that avenue. All the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lessons that I have taken from the main podcasts that I've recorded about footballers. I have three, four guests within this, and some of the rest of them are stuff that I've spoken about. We're going to go through supplements for footballers. We're going to go through my interview with Cameron Suter, talking about sprinting. We're going to go through my biggest mistakes with fat loss during the season. Match day nutrition with Chris Lowe. We're going to go through identity with Sam Wardrop. We're going to go through what you should be doing during pre-season. We're going to go through um, football mindset. Um, how can you improve your mindset for a game of football when it comes to like confidence and things like that? So let's fire right in and see what we can do. Um, I've got written down here, intro. That was the intro. Um the first thing is supplements. Let's get straight into it. So as a footballer, what supplements do you need? The word there is need, not, and the answer is none. Like you don't need any. You don't need any. You would probably benefit from some, um, but you don't need any. If your diet's decent, you're hydrating well, you'll probably be fine. I guarantee there's plenty of footballers that went their whole career without taking one supplement. Diego Maradona probably didn't take any supplements. He did take a few things that were perhaps white and in powder form, but he probably wasn't taking creatine, if I'm being honest. I doubt he was taking creatine, um, and he was just fine. I mean, arguably not, but he was. He did all right in terms of his footballing career. Um, perhaps a terrible example to use. But there's probably a list of about one, two, three, maybe maybe four different supplements that I would, that I would use. And again, when we're talking about supplements, um, we can maybe pigeonholing a couple of different things into here that are maybe not classified as like traditional like supplements but the first one's creatine you've heard me bang on about it a million times before you your dog your gran your cat your budgie your pigeon your hamster don't feed creatine to animals by the way this is a joke um anyone that you know should be taking creatine anyone doesn't matter if they're training doesn't matter if they don't train doesn't matter if um it generally really doesn't matter you should just be taking creatine 
Do you want me to list a couple of things that it does? Helps muscle cells improve, uh, produce more energy, sorry, not improve, um, improves high intensity exercise performance, um, speeds up muscle growth. It can improve brain function, um, can, may reduce fatigue and tiredness. Um, it's really cheap, it's safe. Um, there's a lot of study recently coming out. Like, I think, I can't remember. The, I should really quote these studies. I should go through to a bit more effort to actually quote these studies. Um, I figured that my listenership doesn't really go and read Substacks and um, PubMed and things like that. They might. Some of them might. But there was one study that basically said that after deprivation of sleep, supplementing creatine can help improve cognitive performance, a.k.a. brain power. Um, so if you're underslept, and you've got a game the next day, supplement creatine because it's going to help you improve your brain function, your cognitive function, your decision-making on the pitch. Um, why wouldn't you want that? Creatine is cheap. Creatine is still cheap. You better buy it soon because it'll probably get more expensive like every other supplement in the world is right now. Um, so make sure it is in your it's in your diet. Make sure you're, well, not in your diet, but make sure you're supplementing it daily. It's so easy. Just chuck a bit of it in water. I've got some of it sitting here. Unfortunately, this one always floats to the bottom of the glass, so I need to swirl it about and drink it. But I think I've been on my longest creatine streak now for a long time. I've probably been taking it for about 50 days in a row without forgetting. Um, whey protein is, again, probably going to be a good supplement to have. Do most of us get all of our required protein from our diet? No, probably not. We probably don't. So whey protein is a good thing to have. Will it kill us? No, contrary to a lot of TikTok that whey protein is killing us and it doesn't get digested for, for a year or so. I heard someone say that whey protein, it sits in your stomach for, I can't remember how much it was. It was like, they said it sits in your stomach for like seven months or something like that, something ridiculous like that. Um, and just sits there. doesn't doesn't go anywhere. just sits in your muscle. And by that theory, if we were to have a scoop of protein, say every single day for seven months, we would probably weigh over 300 kilograms because we would just be a big, massive scoop away. Um, Omega-3 fish oils, um, just for general kind of joint health and things like that, is probably going to be useful. There's a lot of a lot of footballers using like anti-inflammatory um, supplement now. I mean, ibuprofen is just like, that is generally, that is anti-inflammatory. That's what that is. I'm sure there's a lot of players popping those before games of football with, with like, that are carrying injuries. Um, I'm sure a lot of people do that. Turmeric is kind of the natural version of that. Turmeric can reduce inflammation. What you need to be careful with is that taking any sort of anti-inflammatory anti property um, is going to blunt muscle growth. So if you've got any sort of like gym goal, any sort of muscle growth goal, any sort of kind of goal to build, like to generally like build muscle, then be careful with how much of this you take because it will blunt muscle growth. Just the same as an ice bath will blunt muscle growth it will improve time to recovery and sensations of recovery but it won't improve your muscle growth it will actually stunt it as inflammation is a direct response of the first stage of recovery when it comes to when it comes to um any sort of fatigue that you build up like it is the first stage of recovery it is the natural kind of build up um of inflammation um again spoke about this one a couple of times beta alanine which is essentially a a lactate buffer. So what I mean by that is that, you know, when your legs start to burn, when you're running, um, you know, that burning feeling you get in your quads when you're doing squats, um, that is lactate buildup. And beta-alanine buffers that, which means essentially it takes longer for that to happen. A lot of CrossFit athletes are taking this stuff now. So 
Um, I think more stuff will come out about this, but right now it's, it's a bit uncertain. So creatine, whey protein, omega-3, vitamin D, things like that are probably the things that you want to stay on. My nose is so blocked. Second one, had a conversation with Cameron Suter. This is probably over like a year and a half ago. He's a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think he, he works with loads of teams and athletes and things like that. And one of the main things that we spoke about was resistance training. We spoke about... Um, what you should be doing in the gym as a footballer, as an athlete, um, what people aren't doing, what they should be doing. And one of the main things that we picked out was that sprinting, like generally just like putting your boots on, going down to the park and just running as fast as you can in a straight line over 5, 10, 18 yards, whatever it may be, is something that is not used enough. If you consider a game of football, like the most one of the most well the most frequent action when it comes to assisting a goal or scoring a goal is a sprint so the the subsequent action before scoring a goal tends to be a sprint you sprint to get into a space you sprint to put a cross in you sprint to make a tackle you sprint to beat the beat someone else to the ball we need to consider that sprinting is probably the most important function of a footballer on the pitch you know the nature of a game of football. It's intermittent. You walk, you jog, you run, you sprint, you walk, you jog, you go sideways, you go left, you go right, you go up, you go down. You don't just run at one steady pace. Hence why we get on at people for just doing five and 10Ks during preseason. Yeah, okay, building up your lungs is probably going to be a good idea. However, we need to be sprinting more. And again, consider what your training's looked like over the past, like your training for your team. Consider what it's looked like for the past six to 10 months. Even if you're playing a five-a-side game, how often do you actually fully sprint over five or ten yards in that game? Very few. You do a lot of like two-yard, three-yard sprints as well. Um, we need to get better at this. We need to. We need to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to introduce more sprinting into our training. Um, also, when it comes to <clears throat> hamstring injury, hamstring strength, when it comes to like, what's the best thing I can do to get me faster and stronger? A lot of people will go, okay, I need to get my legs bigger. I need to do hamstring curls. I need to do Nordics. I need to do deadlifts. When it comes to comparing Nordic curls, hamstring curls, deadlifts, lunges, when it comes to comparing those to actually just full out sprinting, um, which one do you think came out on top in terms of the most benefits in terms of your speed and in terms of your hamstring strength? It's sprinting. Like you literally should be sprinting more. Um, so the study that I think they compared the Nordics and I think it was a five-yard sprint. So both the Nordic and the sprint both showed improvements in high hamstring, the, the bicep femoris specifically, fascicle length, aka the length of the muscle, with better adaptations noted in the sprint group, and the sprint group also improved in both sprint mechanics and performance. What that basically means is they were faster and their sprinting looked better whereas the Nordic group did not. So if you want to get better at sprinting, sprint. That is the, this, that's pretty much the story. Um, the hamstring muscles, like, it's one of these muscles that it stores like a lot of elastic energy. So, you know, when you just see, like Mbappe is a really good example. You, when you see him take off, you're like, holy shit. Like he just, he just goes like that. It just properly springs. Um, the hamstring is, is a muscle that contains a lot of, fast twitch muscle fibers. So again, going into a little bit more detail about this, like your muscle, a lot of your muscle within your body contains a particular type of muscle fiber. It has a characteristic to it. So 
if you are a boxer, then you're probably going to have a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers in your chest because your chest or like your shoulders or your biceps because you move those fast on a regular basis. However, a footballer probably won't. Like he, pr he probably won't have very many fast twitch muscle fibers in his chest. They're more going to be slow because perhaps he's doing just slow bench press at the gym and he's, he's not really working with any speed. However, like if you're a footballer, your hamstring is probably going to have a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers in it because you regularly, like you run, you sprint, you change direction a lot with them. Therefore, if we can continue to make them even stronger and even better and build up even more fast twitch muscle fibers, they become faster, you become faster, you be able to, you're then able to sprint more uh, and quicker. So the moral of the story there is, if you do one thing this preseason, make it just go and stick your boots on, go and walk up to the park and just sprint. Um, obviously, come up with a little bit more specific recommendation to that, but I don't really have time today to do that. I'm going through a podcast. So fourth one was episode, I think this was episode six. So the first one was episode three, third one, the second one was episode five, and this one is episode six. And it's my mistakes with, with fat loss during the season. So... 2018, I was very much going through a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit of a crisis. I would had to lose fat and I would do anything to make me lose fat, even at the detriment of my football. I fully recall going to training so many times, starving. Like, I, I just remember what it looked like. I would play for the uni on a Tuesday, play for 4 for on a Tuesday, play for the uni on a Wednesday, and then play for Kerry Thistle on a Saturday or wherever it was, 4 for West End. Um and I went into each one of those games, each one of those training sessions, hungry. Like, I was hungry because the goal that was, like, front of my mind, the goal that was more important than any of my football performance was, was fat loss. Now, can you lose fat during the season? You absolutely can, but not the way that I was doing it. I was hitting the same calorie deficit of around about 2,000 calories every single day, regardless of what I had on. If I had a game, if I had training, if I had a double session, if I was in the gym, I was eating the same amount of calories. Now, my body demanded so much more than that for me to recover, hence why I was in absolute pieces after every single game. Um, and I was generally quite confused. I was like, why can I not recover? Like, why am I not losing fat? Like, I was doing neither of these things. I plateaued. And the reason that I was plateauing so much was because like I would hit the weekend and I'd be fucking starving and I would just binge like I would binge like nothing you've ever seen before and that then kind of offset all this stupid work that I'd done through the week and all this starvation that I'd caused myself and what would have then been the better option well I would have had to understand that in season when you're playing three games a week it's impossible to put yourself in an aggressive calorie deficit it's so stupid like it's, it's not going to benefit your performance. A lot of the time I ask myself, what would have been possible for me if I was actually fully fueled during that period of time when I was playing loads of football? Because I wasn't playing bad football. Like I was pl playing at a high level. I was playing decent. But would have I been so much more switched on, so much more focused? Would have I recovered better? Would have my performance been improved? Probably would have. Uh, not probably, would have. It definitely would have. So the way that I then approach this with clients now, now that I know this and now that I've educated myself would be to make sure that if someone does really badly want to go through a fat loss phase during the season I can facilitate that but how I facilitate it is like this okay let's say this person is playing semi-professional they train Monday and they train 
Thursday and they play on a Saturday. Monday is very much a training session. Therefore, they will have extra calories on that day to play with. Tuesday, they'll hit that calorie deficit as much as they can. I'm not saying it's going to be any lower, but they'll make sure they hit their calorie deficit. Wednesday, they'll hit the calorie deficit. Thursday's training day again. Therefore, therefore, they're going to have a little bit of extra calories. Friday, because there might be a requirement for a carb load, they're going to have some extra calories. Saturday, because they all played the game, there's going to be need for a little bit of extra calories. Be that like a flexi day. Sunday, again, depending on how aggressive this person wants to go with this fat loss goal, maybe another calorie deficit day. Um, however, they're valuing a little bit more, having a bit of free time on the Sunday and they want to eat a little bit more, they want to go out for a meal, then they may not hit the calorie deficit there. So therefore, they may only be in the calorie deficit three or four days of the week. However, are they going to adhere to that much better? Is their performance on the football pitch going to be much better? Yeah, it is. Like, there's no doubt about that. And in an overall kind of sense, over a few months, that person will most definitely lose more body fat. Not most definitely, but they'll probably lose more body fat doing it that way than they would trying to stick to that calorie deficit every single day because they won't adhere, they'll hate it, and they'll eventually just they'll fall off and they'll get bored. That's the way I see it anyway. And um, that's from my experience. So match day nutrition and match day minus one nutrition. Now I went into this with quite a lot of detail. First of all, in my own podcast, this is probably one of my most listened to podcasts. Um, and then I went into a little bit more detail with a professional nutritionist who works with, I think he works with wasps down in England. He's worked with some of the all blacks and um, he works with a lot of professional cyclists on the tour de France and things like that. And, um, we talked about match day nutrition for footballers. And the thing that came up time and time again was carbohydrate, lack of carbohydrate in a lot of these footballers' diets. And rugby, play, this applies to any team sports, by the way. Like if you're playing basketball or rugby, this will apply as well. Um, and the problem is that a lot of us are going into games of football and games of rugby underfield. Perhaps not hungry, like we may not be going into these games hungry, but we're going in underfield. The way that you've got to look at your body when it comes to a game of football is that there is a there's a gas tank, essentially. And the gas tank is filled up with, let's call the fuel, your carbohydrate and the food that you've eaten. Let's call your hydration, your your AdBlue. If you've got one of the new cars with the AdBlue, then you understand, but I didn't even know what AdBlue was until about six months ago, but came up on my car screen. You require add blue into 50 miles i was like what the fuck is add blue um hence i've had old bangers on the days until this next car anyway you need to be sufficiently hydrated and sufficiently fueled to perform optimally on the pitch if you only fill up 50 percent and you've not eaten enough or you've just eaten what you would usually eat but you don't feel fueled enough your performance is going to drop off you're going to go into the like you're going to go to 0%, not necessarily 0% because you're still going to be able to move, but your glycogen slash carbohydrate stores are going to be very low. Therefore, your performance is going to dip. Now, what happens when carbohydrate glycogen stores are low um, or they drop below around about 50%, what happens is there's impaired cognitive, fun impaired cognitive function, aka like bad decision-making. You just feel generally tired and fatigued and sore. Um, if we then continue to do this on a like on a weekly basis, your recovery is going to be slower. Um, in the game, there's going to be decreased sprint speed. Um, this is like based on studies as well. Your distance covered per five minutes is going to drop in like the seventieth, eightieth, ninetieth minute. Um, 
your actual passing accuracy is going to be down as well. There's studies to show this. Um, you're generally just not going to perform anywhere near as well. Now, it's so hard to be able to tell what this feels like or what this looks like unless you've been to both ends of the spectrum. Unless you've went into five or ten games really fully fueled, feeling good, and if you went into five to ten games underfueled, and you know what that feels like, it's hard to make this difference because you only know what you know. And if you've been underfueling for ten years, then that's just the norm for you. Like some days you might you might have had like a big bowl of pasta on Friday night without calling it a carbohydrate load, and you might be sufficiently fueled for that game, and you maybe find it hard to make that relationship. Um, that's why we need to come up with some sort of strategy and keep it consistent on Friday night into Saturday. Like so that we have the same thing going on every single week and we make sure that we're sufficiently fueled every week. Because if we're not and we go and we get a bit of cramp or we have a really shit last 10 minutes, sometimes we just put it down to, oh, why was I so tired today? I don't know why. We need to control the variables as much as possible when it comes to nutrition for our game. Like why, if you're a great footballer, if you're a cracking fucking player, and you're having a great season, why let, why would you let it be the fact that you didn't eat enough be the reason as to why you had a shit end to the game? You made a bad decision, you didn't score a goal, or you let the striker go through and you lost 1-0 in the last minute. Why make that be the thing that drops your performance? Um, we want to minimise central fatigue. Like Central fatigue is this whole thing, as a, is this whole thing. Like it's, it's the sore legs, it's the tired body, it's the tired mind. And how do we do this? We just eat higher carbohydrates. What does this look like? Like, how would we, how would we shape this up? Now, if you're listening to this and you want me to send you over a guide um, to what this would look like, I can do this because it's probably better for you to see it in front of you than me to explain it. But first of all, we've got to think about what we're eating the night before. Now, a lot of us like to call it a carbohydrate load. Some of the recommendations are excessive. Like you would be sitting eating this bowl of pasta for a good hour had you followed the top recommendation. What I would say is, is that if you just fucking eat what you want on a Friday night, it's probably done you no harm for many years. However, make sure whatever you're eating, if there's a carbohydrate aspect to the meal, which I would imagine there is, if it's pasta, if it's rice, if it's some sort of wraps, or if it's whatever it is, bagels, preferably like good kind of nutritious sources like rice, pasta, potatoes, just add 25% extra, add more. My thing I do now is like I have pasta every single Friday night, like just a big old bowl of pasta, probably scraping 800, 900 calories. Now, that might seem a little bit scary if you've got any sort of fat loss goal. Um, but if you're looking to maximize performance, then it's good to be able to do this. Now, the reason that I eat so much on the Friday night in terms of carbohydrates is because my digestion is not brilliant. Like, I have a lot of problems with digestive stress and don't like eating loads on Saturday morning. Like, I usually have my breakfast and I'll have a squares bar and that does me all the way through until half two kick off. Um. Obviously, my breakfast is carbohydrate-based as well, so it's like oats, berries, honey, um, with a little bit of protein in there as well, um, and that does me good, but it's mostly carbohydrate. I then have a squares bar, which is an easily digestible carbohydrate, and then I'll sometimes have some Lucozade or I'll have some one of those SIS gels before the game. Um, my God, my nose is getting more blocked by the minute. Um, the only other thing that I would consider would be, in terms of match day nutrition, refueling at half time, making sure you've got an SIS gel, you've got a Lucozade, you've got electrolytes if it's a really hot day, which it's kind of it's this time of the seasons where you're like sweating out your tits halfway through the game. Um, having some sort of electrolyte drink that you can refuel with is going to be good. And um, before the game, making sure that you're not just powering like 
five black coffees, but a bit of caffeine going in could be useful. That can actually improve reaction time and improve sprint speed and improve focus as long as you're not eating too much, eating slash drinking too much and it's causing you any digestive stress. I know a lot of people, like they'll have a drink of caffeine and they'll just be like needing the toilet within seconds. Just make sure you control the amounts that you're having. Um, so yeah, that was my recommend recommendation on match day nutrition. It's just making sure you're appropriately fueled. So many of us are just going into games like under fueled. That's the main thing. Um, so yeah, that's match day nutrition. Let me take a deep breath and get a drink. Ideally some, um, some Vicks as well, but I don't think I've got any in the house. So this one is off the back of the conversation I had with Sam Wardrop. So Sam Wardrop, ex-Celtic player, played for Dundee United, played for Morton, um, played for a very good Celtic youth team and actually stepped away from football altogether. He doesn't play football just now. Like he, You might have seen some of his stuff online. Like He's, he's doing pretty well in the online coaching business. Um, and we basically talked about identity attached to football. So if you're listening to this, you're probably growing up a footballer. You've probably been kicking a ball since you were about five years old. So you grow up, you maybe play like boys club and then you maybe play amateur juniors, you maybe had a go at pro youth, you maybe have played even professional. And especially when we reach those higher higher end levels of football, you begin to identify yourself as a footballer. If you're on holiday and someone asks you, oh, what do you do? Oh, I play football, do this, I do that. Like, especially if you have been at that pro youth level, like it's, it's a bit of a flex, I play pro youth for like, I don't know, fucking Barcelona. Obviously, not Barcelona. You kind of flex and say, ah, oh, play football, blah, blah, blah. Play for this team, play for that team. And as a young guy, and as, as a lot of young girls as well, you know, we, we kind of attach ourselves to that. And being a footballer is something you can be very proud of. And you should be. You should be very proud of being a footballer, whatever level that you play at. Like, it's, it's, it's a big thing in the UK. But what tends to happen is, and I've seen this happen to so many people, is that like, we attach our identity to football and all our life is is football, which is fine. Like that tends to be the players that end up being the best players is the ones that dedicate their life to it. But what happens is when we get that injury or when we step away from football or where we come down and we need to like, we get a little bit older and we're like, oh, I need to retire or I need to take a step down. I'm not good enough anymore to play juniors or I'm not good enough anymore to play professional. And you step down a level and you still got that identity attached to the player that you used to be. And you still find it really hard like how many footballers do you know have you heard stories of that when they step away from football they really fucking struggle because they're like um they really don't know and i hope um kev doesn't mind me saying um but i was actually i found his story really kind of inspiring and it kind of tapped into this as well like kev mcnaughton used to play for um cardiff and kev was a coach of mine's at, at for for athletic um and he publicly came out just the other week there um, on Sky Sports and and said that he's kind of struggled with like the back end of football, like coming out of that, coming from playing in the Premier League, playing in the Championship to um, to not being able to do that anymore. Um, and I think that was a really cool thing for him to share because I think a load of people struggle with that regardless of what level it's at. Like you step away from football, you've got your Saturday free, you've got your Tuesday night, your Thursday free. And first of all, it kind of feels pretty good, but you're like, fuck, what am I? Like, what, what am I without football? Like, what do I even do? And I think a lot of this comes down to, like, people not having plans or not having ideas as to what will I do after football or beyond football. Now, if you're listening to this, you've probably got a job as well, and part of your identity is part of that. Um, but I think 
what we need to then do is is not just sit after football and do nothing. We need to find something else that kind of gives us that same fire in the belly. Another something else to tackle, um, be it a marathon or triathlon or fucking coaching or whatever it is. Like a lot of us need to try and find what else it is that we're good at. And if we're obviously talking from a, a younger player aspect, we need to remember that there is like it can all go to shit. Like it really can. You can get one injury and it can it can be fucked. Like having something else to fall back on is going to be really good when it comes to like education or something. So yeah, just remember that you like even if you are a footballer at the very top of your game, like you're more than just a footballer. Like you you're a lot to someone else as well. Like I know this sounds a little bit fucking soppy, but you're like maybe a dad or you're maybe a, a mum or you're maybe a brother or you're maybe like a fucking really important person at your work. You've got so many other hats to wear other than just being a footballer. You're not just a fucking one-dimensional person. Um, so try not to attach everything that you know to that because you are more than that. Um, although it's sometimes hard to believe after you get beat on a Saturday. Like, you you just think, fuck, like, or you win on a Saturday. Like, you're pretty proud of wearing that tracksuit kicking about. Um, so pre-season. This is going to be the second last one. So in pre-season there are a couple of things that I would do. There's, and it kind of fits in pretty nicely because I'm doing the pre-season program just now, um, the pre-season push program with like a lot of new clients that are coming in the door. So how do you get the best out of pre-season? That's the question that I would tend to ask people or I would ask myself, like, how do I get the best out of these athletes during pre-season? Now, there's a couple of things that you've got to consider. The season finishes at different times for every every person. Some people will probably be finishing the second week of June, which is fucking crazy. Like our season could be finished in, in three weeks, but some people will going to be going straight all the way through to June, which is um is a long season. And then the season starts again, probably like five or six weeks after that. So, and to be fair, you'll probably be back into pre-season training maybe two weeks after that. So it will, it will start pretty quickly. There's no doubt about that. Like it's going to be happening soon. There's pro- probably not going to be much chance of an off season, but the main things that I would make sure that I would do is in pre-season, a lot of us come back having put on weight. Now, there's a reason, a couple of reasons that this shouldn't happen and you should probably try and avoid this happening. One, because let's use the F1 car analogy. So you, as an F1 car, are going around the track and if anyone watches F1, they'll understand this probably a little bit better. So on the qualifying laps in F1, um, if you have a full fuel tank you're slower because you're heavier what the teams try to do when they're redeveloping a car they try to make it lighter but with more power because if it's lighter and it has more power it goes quicker so when the fuel goes down after a few laps you tend to get quicker qualifying laps now what's changed the weight of the car has changed but there's not been any difference in the power the power is still all there but the fuel is gone and they've maybe tried to cut a little bit of weight other where other places maybe from the from the chassis or maybe from the kit, like the actual body work. Now, your body works the exact same. You have a percentage of muscle mass right now and a percentage of power attached to that muscle mass. If we put on weight, aka if we have a heavier fuel tank, then we're not going to move as quick. Like it's just fucking, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, ergodynamics is that it i don't know someone could correct me if they want um it's generally just like the dynamics of your actual body so it works the opposite way around if we get leaner to a certain extent obviously and before we get to the detriment of our actual health like there's a certain amount you would want to lose if we get leaner 
and tighter, then we're actually going to be able to produce more power. Therefore, your body is going to be able to change direction. It's going to be able to sprint faster because you've still got the same amount of power, but you've got less weight. Now, how do you do this? You obviously need to be you need to be making sure that you maintain as much muscle mass as you can because if you lose the muscle mass and the body fat, then what you tend to do is you just, yeah, your car's lighter, but you've got less power attached to that car. The brake horsepowers came down with it as well. So what we would then do is, is we would put you in a calorie deficit, try to get you to drop body fat, but make sure your protein is mega high. Therefore, you retain as much muscle as you can, much as much power as you can, but you drop body fat. So that would be one of my goals for preseason. And the reason that I would do that in preseason is because I don't need to worry about being fully fueled, like I, like I talked about with the past on the Friday night. We don't need to be worried about being fully fueled for those games. We can actually now afford over preseason to actually cut calories and to do this fat loss phase nice and efficiently without having to worry about our performance on the pitch. Um, the second thing in regards to obviously training would be you then have the opportunity that you're not playing games. You don't need to be prepared on a Saturday. You can go and smash yourself in the gym, smash yourself on the pitch. Um, and this is where you work on your weaknesses. This is where you work on things that you struggled with last year. This is where you work on things that um, injuries that you picked up. This is where you work on making those weaknesses strengths, getting faster, getting stronger, going through an actual process. Um, and if you do this, you're almost guaranteed to go back into pre-season training the first session back and not feeling like you're at the back of the queue like how many times do you do a run when you go back to pre-season and you feel absolutely fucked because you've done no work you've put on a few kilograms and it just feels like an uphill battle and as i said you've maybe only got six or seven weeks like there's only so much that a couple of training sessions a week can really do in pre-season you need to be putting the fucking work in because the teams that take off at the start of the season are the fit teams there's no doubt about that i've played for many a team over the past few years in the juniors. And if you're not fit at the start of the season, you fucking don't win games unless you're a very good footballing team, but you tend to get overrun because a lot of teams come back in very fit. Like they'll have done an aggressive, good pre-season. Um, don't be the, the one that's left out, the one that's unfit and the ones that, the one that's not ready because you fucking let everyone else down on your team. Um, breathe. Um, I need to breathe here. I spoke for quite a while there. So like it is an opportunity in preseason to really go and work on those weaknesses, especially things like injuries. Like if you've been constantly picking up like calf niggles or you've been pull you've pulled your hamstring a couple of times, there is a, it's highlighting weakness. 99% of the time it highlights a weakness. If you keep getting injured there, it's not because you're struck down by bad luck. Like it is highlighting a weakness. There's something there that's not quite right. Um, I think we need to probably then work on it. And the last thing is football mindset. Um, I want you to obviously have a think about like what your mindset is attached to football. And I spoke to John Johnston about this, and he works with um, a lot of professional footballers currently in the game, playing in the, the championship, playing in the actual Scottish League, some Scotland internationalists as well. And he works with these guys on the mental side of their game. And what he basically talks about is like having, oh my God, my nose is so blocked, having like a ritual before the game having a sort of thing that you do that keeps it keeps the the variables consistent and like something he also talked about was watching back so if you've got access to say like a VO or something like that watching some highlights for things that you did that were good and um, like you if you're a striker watch back some of your goals that you scored like build a bit of confidence within yourself a lot of the time if you doubt your ability on the football pitch then that's when you've kind of already lost. 
And the best games that you have are the games that you feel confident, the games that you feel fucking unbeatable, the, the games that you feel like there's actually nobody getting past me, or I'm actually like, fuck this, like I'm I'm scoring today. Like you just know. Um I would have a think about that. I didn't want to go too deep into this because it can, it can be a very deep subject, but if confidence in the mental side of the game is something that you struggle with, um, drop me a message as well because I'm not saying that I'm mentally bulletproof, um, but definitely over the past couple of years, like I'm able to keep a much calmer head. And uh, something that really hit home with me as well is that like, how angry do you get at referees on a pitch? Like a lot of people just get fucking like so, so angry. Once the referee has made a decision, like this is this is the black and white way of looking at it. See if the referee's blown his whistle and he's given a penalty or he's given a free kick or he's given out a yellow card. I don't really think in Scottish juniors or Scottish public ever has he went, oh, sorry, mate. Oh, no, it's good that you said that because I'll take the yellow card back and I won't give the penalty. It never happens. Once the decision is made, there's no point moaning about it. And I'd like to see t- statistics in regards to which team moans at the ref most gets less decisions. Because I swear in most situations, if you're fucking like absolutely hammering the ref, calling him a dick, like you tend to get less decisions. Take that home with you. That's the main thing. Um, so yeah, that is the podcast done. Hopefully you took something away from that.